Uh, we're starting a new season uh, as a church. Really, it's a vision season for us. Uh, we fast over this period because uh, we want to lean into God with clarity. Uh, fasting kind of plays two roles. Fasting is about breakthrough, and there's times throughout Scripture you see where people need a far, uh, breakthrough, uh, they would fast. But fasting's uh, also about drawing closer to the voice of God, and it's about withholding in the flesh uh, so I can lean into my spirit uh, and connect with God. And we're praying over the fast that you wouldn't only find breakthrough, you'd also find vision. You would find vision for what lies ahead. And, you know, the reality is when it comes to God, we should never catch our vision. I, I'm thankful for what we're doing as a church, what uh, Leela and I have been able to do in our lives so far. But every time we move forward in the vision, the vision just keeps getting further and further ahead. Because the nature of vision, vision isn't a, uh, it's not a picture on the wall that we hope to one day take hold of. It's a spirit we carry. Uh, being able to see how God sees and see what God sees. And really the last few years with COVID, the uh, cost of living crisis, all the talk that's going on, a lot of people have gotten into survival mode just to get through the year, just to get through. And there's very much a survival mentality to maintain, to control, uh, to protect, uh, to build security uh, because of the disruption of the last two years. But we're a people that aren't just called to manage what God has given us. In fact, we're called to increase, to move forward uh, in what God's called us to. In fact, there's a parable about that when Jesus hands out talent and trusts people with responsibility and trusts people with gifting and trust people with resources, and the, the, the one that just held it was deemed a wicked and lazy servant because the expectation on God, on our life, is we don't, just, we don't just hold on to our world, we don't just manage and maintain our world, but we would increase. From the outset, the, 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 space, the, the, the mandate on humanity is to increase. And really, as a church, we want to continue to see each and every person continue to increase in the call of God on your life. But part of that is we need to hold a vision. We need to hold a vision as a church, but we also need to hold vision in our own lives. And really this series, Do You See What I See? Because at the end of the day, uh, it's not just about what vision I have for my life, but it's more about me figuring out the vision God has for my life. Because a lot of people live life trying to get God on board with their vision. But the reality is in our life, we're here to get on board with God's vision for humanity. A lot of people would pray and fast and do a whole bunch of things trying to convince God to bless their idea. But the reality is the trueness of how I find clarity and vision is less asking God, God, would you help me with my thing? But God, how can I lay my life down for your dream, for your vision? So it's not just us saying, God, this is what I see. The question from God really is, can we see what he sees? Right now for our city, do we see what God sees? For your family, for your space, for your environment, do you see what God sees? Because it's a God vision that will carry you. It's a God vision uh, that will sustain you. But tonight I want to look at a, a story found in the early stages of humanity. Uh, many of us, especially if you, you grew up in church, you've been in church for some time, uh, you probably heard this story, but I think it's a powerful story. Uh, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. 
uh, and is found early on in the book of Genesis and the story of man. And for those who are unfamiliar with the story, uh, it's a point in humanity where uh, humanity got together to try and build a tower, uh, which they said to reach the heavens, uh, build a tower, but the, the point in it was to build security. Uh, but the story really talks about the power of agreement. Uh, because it wasn't a smart idea, it was just that everybody was agreed that made it. And really the Tower of Babel uh, gives us a picture on the fact how God's wired humanity that there is power in agreement. There, there is power in agreement. It doesn't matter what you're agreeing about, the reality is there's power if you choose to agree. The, 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 the story of the, the Tower of Babel wasn't that the idea was great. It's just that everybody was united behind the idea. And you've got to understand that unity holds power. So the other thing you've got to realize with, you've got to ask yourself the question, you've got to be cautious about what you're leaning, leading your le- unity towards. Because my unity has power. And what I choose to connect my unity to will again give that thing power. Will give that thing. My, my agreement puts power behind things. And I can put my agreement behind some pretty stupid things at times because it, it, it's, it's the agreement that gives ideas power. And the question tonight is, is not, not, not just does unity have power. No, we know unity has power. It's the question for you tonight is, is, is what are you uniting behind? Because you're putting your agreement behind something. You can even d- agree in your disagreement. You, you can, you, everyone's putting agreement somewhere behind something. The question is, uh, what are you putting your agreement behind? Because your agreement will give the idea, idea powers. The reality is we all got to be careful about what we unite around. Uh, and I, I've really got to watch where I'm placing my unity. The reality is growing up, especially throughout my, my teenage years, uh, a lot of the stupidity I got up to uh, was not because I had the idea. It's just I chose to agree with the idea. And, uh, you know, growing up, there's always growing up, you got a certain group of friends. There's always two or three within a friend group. And it's like when you hang out with them in particular, Stupidity just rises. Stupidity, like normally you're well thought through, you're pretty sensible. You ever, you ever had to sit down and have the conversation, especially in your teenage years, sit down and have the conversation with someone and say, and why did you do that? Well, in the time, it sounded like a good idea. Well, the reality is it wasn't a good idea. It's just a group of friends got agreement around a stupid idea and convinced each other that it's a good idea. I remember... Uh, I grew up in a rural community, and so after five o'clock in the afternoon, uh, everyone kind of goes to bed because uh, there's not much else to do. And so, uh, about seven, eight o'clock in a rural town, uh, the streets are pretty quiet. And uh, we had all just recently got our licenses, and there's a degree of freedom that comes with that. And uh, and with that also comes a degree of stupidity. Uh, and remember one night. Uh, we're hanging out, and uh, we came up with this idea uh, because we saw it on a movie, and all things in movies are awesome, so we should copy it. Uh, where you would 
stand on a skateboard and hold on to the back of a ute. And the game was drive the ute as fast as possible. And the last one holding on uh, is the man. <laughs> and the goal of being a 16-year-old boy in a rural town was to be the man. All right. And so what would happen is you'd let go when you got a bit scared. Now what would happen is your skateboard would start getting speed wobbles, 40, 50 kilometers an hour. And then you'd let go and try and control it. And that was fine. Uh, and th- we're doing that a few times until we turn around and I was the last one, by the way, the last one holding on to the, the ute. And as we're driving back, my friend stops the ute, looks out the window and sees a shopping trolley and goes, you know what would be a great idea? Is if you got in the shopping trolley and held onto the ute and then we'll see how fast you can go. Stupid idea. And then I turn to the rest of my friends and go, what do you reckon? They're like, yeah, it would be awesome. You've got to be careful not just where you're giving your agreement, but you also got to be careful about who's giving you agreement. Because they weren't giving me agreement for my best interest. They were giving me agreement because they wanted to see me get hurt in a shopping trolley. And the question is not just do I have agreement from others, the question is why do I have their agreement? And who is it that's giving me agreement? A lot of people say, oh, everyone does it. Oh, no, they agree. They're finding people to give agreement. But I don't want to just listen to people who agree. I want to listen to people who actually have the soundness of mind, the wisdom of heart, and the spirit alive in them to tell me what's right and wrong. But as a 16-year-old, I don't have those kind of friends. And so they were like, that would be an awesome idea. So I'm like, yeah, sounds awesome. And anyway, get in a shopping trolley, and there's some fun facts you learn about a shopping trolley. Uh, first, at about, about 30 to 40 kilometers an hour, the wheels kind of don't like it much longer, and they start wobbling. Now, normally what would happen on a, U, is you, on a skateboard, you let go, and you'd get gain control, and you'd be fine. You'd just roll until you stop. Uh, the, what I found out at the wrong time was when you let go and you're standing in a shopping trolley, you've got no control of that thing anymore. The shopping trolley goes where the shopping trolley wants to go. And what it did is it just went, we, on the road, it just went straight into the curb. I went out of the shopping trolley down the footpath and grazed up my whole legs. My friends came and picked me up, put me back in the, in the back of the ute and dropped me off at A&E and said, text us when you're done. Uh, and then I'm sitting there, uh, I'm sitting there with the nurse, and when you got all your friends around, it's funny. Uh, but the nurse goes, and how did this happen? I'm like, well, I had this idea and told her about the shopping trolley. And she goes, didn't you know that was a stupid idea? I'm like, no, I did. I just had the wrong people around me. <laughs> just had the wrong people around me. And the reality is you've seen a lot of people make a lot of life decisions uh, because they've had the wrong people around them. And because what you choose to put your agreement around gives power to it. And people have come together and agreed about some pretty stupid things in life. Some pretty stupid things. And it's brought power to those things. And the Tower of Babel is an opportunity where where a whole lot of people put agreement around a bad idea. A whole lot of people put a a lot of agreement around a bad idea idea. See, the danger, the the thing with the Tower of Babel, and I'm going to read the story to you in a moment, but just to give you some context, God wasn't angry that people build towers. There's there's a lot of, there's been a lot of towers built in this life. God's not angry at towers. 
He's not angry at, at people building towers. When the sky tower wasn't, was being built, God wasn't angry about it. He doesn't have a problem with towers. He has a problem with why the tower. He had a, the problem with the Tower of Babel, the problem with the tower was not that it was a tower. It was where the people chose to now put their dependency. Where, where, where humanity once lent its dependency and security upon God, they were now saying, I want to build something to give me a sense of dependency and security outside of God. And God wasn't angry at the tower. He was angry about the motive behind the tower. You see, because if, if you look at the story in Genesis 11, uh, verse 1, it says this, Now the whole, the whole world had one language and one common speech. Now, you understand from the outset here, the power in agreement and the power being on the same page. Uh, but I like how it says they're of one language, but also a common speech. Because who knows, you can speak the same language, but mean a whole different thing. You can say the same things. A lot of people say, I love Jesus Christ, but it means a whole lot of different things to a whole lot of different people. And the thing for us as a church is we believe in God, but it's not about just, just having the same language. It's actually about being on the same page about what we're trying to do here about what we're trying to achieve. I remember when Leela and I first started dating, uh, I took it down home uh, to the bustling metropolis of Thames uh, and a uh, small town where I grew up. And uh, I remember going down there. Now, we, I grew up there, lived there for 25 years. Uh, when, when, I go, when I go home, it, I didn't even think about it, but there's lingo at home. There's language. It's all English, but it's got its own lingo to it. And uh, I didn't even notice it when I was down there after about a day, Leela, that night. So he goes, man, you speak funny down here. <laughs> and it's like, because there's, just a, there's a language. It's like if you put me in a pair of gumboots and put a hammer in my hand, there's sayings that would just come out of my mouth because there's, there's a lingo to the trades. There's a, and it doesn't come out anywhere else, but, but there's not just the same language. There's a commonness of speech. And even here at Equipment's Church, we're, not, we're, we're all the same language, but I pray that there's a, there's, there's, there's a commonness about who we are about what we're trying to achieve, about the way we're called to serve and love the world. And then in verse 2, it says here, as people moved eastward, they found a plain and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make brick and bake them thoroughly. They used them instead of stone and, and they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we can make a name for ourselves. So we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this. Nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse the languages so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it's called the Tower of Babel, because there was the Lord confused the language of the whole world, and it f finishes on this, from, the, from there the Lord scattered them over the whole earth. It's, it's amazing here, the very thing they were trying to stop from happen, happened. They were trying to stop in their own efforts from being scattered across the whole earth, but in their own efforts, they fell into the very trap they were trying to stop from happening. The very thing they were trying to avoid, they led themselves right into it because the motive that they were trying to live by. 
And, and it's an amazing story, but if you look at it from the outset uh, where, where they introduced their plan, it says here in verse 3, like I said, come let us make, make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used stone instead of mortar. Then they said, come build ourselves a city and a tower that reaches to the heavens so that otherwise we will be scattered over the, the whole earth. You see there, kind of first thing they introduce is what they were going to do. They were going to bake bricks. From what they were going to do, you discover what the idea that they had was to build a tower. The reason we then discover they want to build a tower because of the vision they held. They wanted to make a name for themselves. The vision they had in their heart was to make themselves something, uh, to make themselves known. Uh, it was very a self-motivated vision. But the reason in the birthplace for that vision was out of a place of insecurity because they say, otherwise we might be scattered. And, and, the, and the, the problem was not the, the, even the, the tower. The problem was what wasn't how they were going to achieve it. The problem was right back in the beginning of where and why that vision was birthed in the first place. The birthplace for the vision of the Tower of Babel was birthed in a position of insecurity. And out of their insecurity, they got hold of a vision to try and build security. And the, the thing I want to talk about when we look at vision is not just what's your vision, but where's your vision being birthed? What's birthing the vision you have for your life? The desire and the vision from their heart was to make a name for themselves, but that was all led by an insecurity that was undealt with in their heart. And there's a lot of people in this world trying to make a name for themselves. I have a vision to make a name for myself. You wouldn't say it in New Zealand. That's not who we are. But a lot of people are living life this way. Living a life with a vision to build security into their own world. We put Christian language around it. But the thing is not just what's your vision, but where's your vision being birthed from? Where's your vision being birthed from? Because at, at, at the end of the day, when, when it comes to your vision, a healthy vision will be birthed out of a healthy heart. A healthy heart. I'm not here to tell you what the vision should be for your life. But I'm here to say as you develop the vision for your life, don't ask your question of what's my vision, but where's that vision coming from? Where's the vision right now that you hold for your life coming from? Where, where is it coming from? For the, for the people at this point, it was coming from a place of insecurity and fear. I'd say a lot of people are still building from that place, a sense of insecurity and fear. They had let go of their dependency on God, so it meant they had to build, build something they could find dependency upon. And behaving out of their insecurities led them to the very thing that they feared. And a lot of people find themselves building not, not a bad thing, but the wrong thing. Not, not, not a bad thing, but the wrong thing. I, I remember coming towards the end of my uh, time as a tradesman and God feeling God calling me to go to university and it's all something I never wanted to do. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I remember I had an opportunity at that point to actually launch out and start my own uh, company uh, as, as a young guy and, and had some people that talked to me and an opportunity uh, to step into it. And I was tossing up between that and going back to university. Uh, and I, I remember for a season I was leaning towards the trades because I was good at it. Uh, I was comfortable in it. I had the ability to do it. Uh, and on that journey, I'd put Christian language around it too. 
well, if I make lots of money, then I'll be more helpful to the church because I can give it all away. I was putting Christian language around, around the fact that actually what, what was really going on is God was calling me to go to university and, and study wasn't something I was comfortable with. And so I was starting to birth a vision around building a company and serving people through it, which is a, is a God-given thing for some people, but it wasn't for me. And it was a good thing, but it wasn't the right thing. And the vision for that was actually birthed out of the insecurity that I might fail university. And it wasn't that I was thinking the wrong thing. It's that actually I was trying to birth my vision from the wrong place. And there's places in our life which it's unhealthy to birth vision from. It's unhealthy. And I want to just quickly look at some unhealthy places to birth vision from and then some healthy places to birth vision from. Does that sound all right? Some unhealthy places to birth vision from, like we've already talked about, is a, a place of insecurity. Uh, a place of insecurity, your birth of vision that is trying to make you something, trying to, trying to build security into your world. So it's dangerous to birth an idea from a place of insecurity. Uh, it's, it's, it's been dangerous to birth a vision out of unmet, me, un, unmet needs. Uh, because I've had lack of my life, I birth a vision that's about what I can obtain. And we can, again, put Christian language around it, but it's not a healthy place to birth vision from. Growing up, not, not having a lot, you start to birth vision. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make money, and I'm going to get this, and I'm going to do that. And it's all about fulfilling some unmet needs. But I, I need to take my unmet needs to God and find healing in God for them because in healing with God and my unmet needs, then I can, I can find a vision that's not self-seeking or self, self-serving, but actually is selfish, selfless in the way it comes about. So unmet needs is a dangerous place to birth a vision from. Another dangerous place to birth a vision from uh, is when you have a distorted view of self. You have a view of self that isn't quite correct. And, and it's dangerous. If you've ever watched any of those shows, American Idol, you see the danger in it. People want to be pop stars and it's just like, you've got a wrong view of your gift set. And there's a lot of people chasing dreams that just aren't, even though we serve the God of the impossible and he can do anything, and I'm sure he can. He also marks out a race for us to run. I like how Paul talks about it. Run the race that God marked out for you. And you need people in your world that are going to help you discover the trueness of who you are. Because a distorted view of yourself will cause you to miss out on the God-given destiny on your life. You'll either chase something you're not gifted for, or you're shy away from something God has gifted you for. God has gifted you for. And I remember doing what I'm doing today, but having so much insecurities about it. But the reality is if I had led from that place of perhaps that's not really me, I would have been robbed of what it is that God was asking me to do. And you need to have a healthy view of yourself. Come on, you can do those things. And for some Maybe you need to look for something else. <laughs> but you need people that can help you steer you in that direction. Build, build a vision around what it is that God's placed in your life. Another dangerous place to birth a vision from is when you got the wrong view of God. There's a point in, in, in the disciples' journey with Jesus where Jesus gets denied access to a town 
And the disciples turn to him and their response is, God, should we call fire down on this town and burn them all? Like that, that's a, that's a, that's a crazy vision. But it was out of a wrong view of God. Jesus says, no, no, that's, that's not what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to avoid fire. And, uh, but it's, 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 it's not what I'm trying to achieve. But the wrong view of God led to the wrong vision. And the more you start to understand God, that's what we say, the more you understand God, the more you understand what God's called you to do. My, my father used to have this painting in his wall, and it was one of those abstract pieces of art where people just throw things at paper and sell it for lots of money. And uh, sorry, I'm not an artist. There's far more into it, and I don't want to offend any artists out there. You, you, what you do is far more important than that. But to someone as naive and stupid as me, it, it, it's, uh, Dad used to have this piece of art. We used to always argue, why have you got it? And then we'd sit around and argue what, what it was. And we'd have big family discussions <laughs> about what this painting was. And, and anyway, but the reality is the only way I'd ever figure out what, what this thing is, is if I actually got to know the artist. Because understanding the artist, I understand the artwork. And it's the same with our life. God is the artist of your life. And the only way you're going to understand this piece of art, your life is a piece of art. The only way you're going to understand it is getting clarity from understanding who God is. Another uh, place where it's been dangerous in my world to birth vision from is from a place of comparison. A lot of people trying to live out dreams and visions, not because they feel that it's them, but because they're caught up in comparison. Well, they do this, then I should be doing that. Well, that's, oh, they're 30 years old now, and look at where they're at, then maybe that's where I need to be. We build comparisons, and it leads us to building ideas and visions that, that might not necessarily, again, not, 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 not every good vision is a God vision. And it might be good for somebody else, but it's not the God thing for you. And when we let comparison be the position in which we're, 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 uh, we're getting vision from, it's a dangerous place. Another dangerous place to build a vision from is money. A lot of people build vision on the basis of money. They let finances determine the vision. But you need to let God determine the vision and then let God provide for it. <laughs> Push into God for his provision. But you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't birth a vision out of whether it's feasible or not. You birth a vision based on whether, whether God's given it to you or not, and then we go on the journey of trust and faith and understanding, no, if God's put it in our heart, God will resource us for it. That's some of the unhealthy ways to birth vision. Now, just to finish off, I want to give you some healthy places to birth vision from because that's probably a little bit more helpful. Some healthy places where I've had to birth vision from in my life is first the healthy place to birth vision from is a place of freedom. When you're living free, not perfect, but free, you're not living under bondage. You're not living under a sense of hopelessness. You're not living under, God can come into those spaces and give you vision, no doubt. God does do that often. But I wanna say when I'm leaning into God for next year, when I'm leaning in, in, in October uh, 2022, when in this time where I'm asking God what's ahead of me for next year, I get more clarity when I'm more free. Because it's, it's in worship that I actually find, find clarity of vision. It's in awe of God. But the more I, I'm, the free I am, the more worship there is in my heart, the more clarity there is in my vision. And I would just say a birthing place, some of you are asking, God, I just need clarity. But for some of us, no, you don't need clarity, you need freedom. 
Because with freedom will become clarity. And right now you can't see past the bondages. And, and that's right, because the reality is we serve a God that can break every bondage. I would say for some of us, before we seek vision on that journey, seek healing. So out of that place of healing will come clarity. Without clarity. Another place I've found a healthy place to birth vision from is when I have a servant heart. A servant heart. When I go to God to not ask God what I, what are you going to make of me, God? But yeah, that's the greater question of God, who can I serve? Where have you called me to serve? What is it that you've called me to serve? The calling of Peter, God said, I'll make you a fisherman of men. The early, in its, in its early inceptions, he laid a seed in Peter's heart. It was about building Peter. But, but before Jesus reinstates Peter and commissions him, when Jesus, at the point of resurrection, was less about what Peter was going to become and more about what Peter was going to serve. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. It was about service. And I found the more my heart to serve others, the more I've developed my heart around the service of others, the clearer, the clearer the vision of God has come into my life. I say, don't build a vision. Don't build a life that's about what you can become. Build a life about what you can give to this world what you can give to the world around you. I don't want to get to the end of my days and say, look at what have I accomplished. I want to get to my end of the days and say, man, I gave it all in trying to help people. I'm trying to help people in the service of the kingdom of God. Because satisfaction actually comes through service. It comes through service. Another healthy place to birth vision from is out of a righteous frustration. A lot of visions come into my heart at times out of a righteous frustration. Now there's frustration and then there's righteous frustration. Righteous frustration isn't getting frustrated at people, but it's getting frustrated at the spirit that can control people. And there's a righteous frustration at times that says, nah, people shouldn't have to live under that. It's it's a frustration, a God-given frustration that gets in your spirit to say, nah, That's not the way God's designed us to live. That's not the way God's designed humanity to be. And out of that place, there's a a righteous frustration that can arise in your heart. When you start to look at the world, that's why mission trips are an incredible thing to be a part of. Because it lodges something in your spirit to say, man, we've got to do more. There's a lot of need in this world and people shouldn't have to live the way they have to live. But it needs people to actually get, get a bit of grit and frustration in their spirit to say, we're going to do something about this. We're not going to let the enemy have control of people. We're not going to let things just be the way they are, statistics to just remain the way they are. We're going to get a, a holy discontent in our heart. Another birthing place of vision for my life. And a healthy one I find is in a place of faith. <laughs> The vision you carry should have a degree of excitement and scaredness to it. You should be scared about what God's calling you to. Not in a run away from it scared, although there's been times where we've all tried. But in a God that's big. God that's big. That's scary. How are we going to make that happen? But there's a place of faith behind it. I've got faith behind my vision. This is the last couple was 
a healthy place of birth vision from is a place of agreement. Don't be a lone wolf with your vision. One thing that we've been taught and we encourage every person that every vision should be submitted somewhere. Who have you actually submitted your vision to? Is there leaders, pastors, people in your world eagerly? We're actually sharing the vision in your heart because there needs to be agreement around it. Agreement around it. Even in the early church with a revelation that, 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 that the gospel's for everyone, not just for Jews or for Gentiles. They still had to get together as, as, as the apostles and get agreement around this vision. We got a vision to take the gospel to all corners of the world. But they said that Peter didn't just get up and run off on his own. Paul didn't just get up and go and do his own thing. No, there was, there was a wrestle and there was an agreement because God doesn't just work in me, He works in us. And there needs to be agreement about the vision. If no one agrees with the vision for your life, you, you, you need to really start to find, find agreement around what the things God's laid on your heart. And make sure you got agreement from the right people. The right people. And probably the last thing, but the most powerful thing for my life is the obvious place for vision to be birthed in my heart is, is from the Spirit. Vision lands in your spirit. It's not an idea, it's not a strategy, but something in your spirit grabs hold of something. And as much as you ignore it, it nags at you. I've found that God's put something in my spirit because there's like a nagging, there's a tugging. Even if I try and ignore it, there's a nagging to it. I remember being 16 years old at a youth camp. Youth camp was called SOS, Save Our Souls. And uh, about 40 odd teenagers there. And uh, it was a youth camp up in the bush. No cell phone reception, so I couldn't check my Bebo. And, uh, and uh, we're at this camp and 16 was an interesting time for me. I grew up in church. I was really trying to figure out where I landed with this whole God thing. And, I was at this camp and just in a moment at the end of the session, the preacher came up to me, no idea who he is, still to today, can't, I don't got no idea who he was. And uh, he came up to me and he prophesied over me and he, he, he prophesied, he, what, what he did is essentially he prophesied basically the last 10 years of my life. And uh, he gave me this prophecy as a 16 year old and about, about high schools and youth and teenagers and all this sort of stuff. And I remember being there like, in my mind going, oh, you, you know, I've grown up in church my whole life, just another preacher. Uh, I was quite cynical at that point. But something lodged in my spirit. And I had forgotten about it. I'd really forgotten about, about the detail of that prophecy, but something caught in my spirit to say, no, I want to live a life that's for others. And I felt God calling me to do what I do today. From, from Something landed in my spirit. A number of years later, I'm moving house. And back then, we used to record prophecies on CDs. And uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't quite the cassette era. Uh, uh, that was more Pastor Matt Gregory's was the, ca- the cassette. There's nothing wrong with that. It's... And uh, I don't know what came before the cassette. Uh, but uh, I, although I did have a Walkman, a cassette tape Walkman, though, that was... I thought it was so cool. Um, but I found the CD. Uh, the problem with CDs, though, is they get scratched. And you play them, and like every third word was jumping around. And uh, we were moving homes. At the time, I'd just taken over a revolution tour and lived 
teams in the high schools. And I put the CD on and play it. And literally in the first sentence, he says, I see you taking teams of people into high schools around our country. High schools around our country. And it was, as a 16-year-old, God deposited a seed in my heart. My mind didn't believe it. But something caught in the spirit. Something caught in the spirit. And vision needs to not be carried in the head. It needs to be carried in the spirit. Because at times the head's going to doubt it. At times there's going to be things that are going to bring doubt to it. But when a vision lands in the spirit, it's unshakable. There's times where I've tried to run away from the vision that God laid in my heart. I ended up in a small town in the middle of nowhere in the South Island trying to run away from the vision of God in my heart. But something, I remember lying there one night after landing a fencing job in a town called Athole and... Uh, Lying there in the post shop floor on a mattress thinking this is the best plan for my life and lying there in the middle of the night and God just gripping my heart and saying, you know, you know there's more in you than this. The next day I got up and drove from Queenstown to Thames nonstop. I just, I slept on the ferry. It was an awful experience, don't do it. Because something gripped my heart. The vision landed in my spirit. It was a conviction. It was words from a man, but it was a conviction that landed in my spirit. And I want to encourage you, lean into God for a vision that lands in your spirit. Because it's a spirit-held vision that will sustain you, that will move you forward.